you're looking at the mindset. So, for example, if you're aware that you've woken up and you've got the, oh, my God, you're rubbish. The day is going to be terrible. You can then take time back and then say, oh, okay, this stuff's playing out again. There's a difference between saying, oh, this stuff's playing out again than qualifying that as I am terrible. I am a disaster. So the ability to create that space between, okay, I know what this is. This is just my kind of critic playing out again. And I have a choice here to observe this and not to get over involved. Owen O'Kane is a psychotherapist and former NHS clinical lead for mental health. He says there are daily things we can do to help us become our own therapists. This is the Liz Earle Wellbeing Show, the podcast helping us all have a better second half. I'm Liz Earle and I'm on a bit of a mission to find ways for all of us to thrive in later life by investing in our health and our well-being today. Well, how do you feel when I say the word therapy? Fearful? overwhelmed, curious. Well, over the years, I've become more of a fan, I have to say, and I've come to realise there is more than one kind of therapy and that finding what works for you is really worth the effort, whether it's using something like EFT, which we've talked about on this podcast before, to help overcome deep trauma, or maybe having relationship counselling with someone like James Earle, no relation, who writes such a brilliant regular therapy column for the Lazar Wellbeing magazine. Or maybe you prefer to do a bit of self-talk with mindful moments and journaling, all really good forms of personal therapy and the kind of thing that I turn to more often these days to help sort out what is going on in my head. Well, with dual medical and psychotherapy training, Owen has over 25 years of experience working inside people's heads with mental health and more. And he has a wonderful ability to understand not just how to quell anxiety and manage stress, but how to bring happiness and calm into people's lives too. And I think we're all well aware of the barriers to entry when it comes to therapy in the UK, waiting lists and cost in particular. So Owen has written a brilliant book. It's called How to Be Your Own Therapist, which while it's not a replacement for therapy, highlights that we don't need to be spending hours on our mental well-being. In fact, just 10 minutes at home each day can make a real difference to our state of mind. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market 
Oh, Owen, welcome. And do you know, I think around this time of year, the month that we're in now, we've maybe become just a little bit more realistic about the fact that we're not necessarily going to be making the grand changes we might have promised ourselves at the beginning of the new year. But we don't have to make huge changes in order to be happier, do we? Because you are here to extol the virtues of small and manageable tweaks for every day. That's what I think. <laughs> I mean, and, um, I mean, I talk, I often talk about micro injections because I think they're they're more effective and you know what we know from all the research I mean we talk January is always about resolutions and change and kind of revamping your life but the, the research is really clear that most resolutions by the third week in January haven't come to anything right when we start to dig deeper and I don't want that to sound like negative or pessimistic to start the show but the reason most of them don't come to anything is that most people set their resolutions too high. They set the bar way too high mm. and, and it becomes overwhelming. So they're, they're not realistic. And mm. I guess really what I'm interested, like, it's a very interesting thing for me because most of the resolutions, when I go on Instagram and stuff around January time, all of the resolutions are about the external stuff, you know, change your body, change your life, change your job. And in my experience of doing this work over the years, when, when people focus on the external stuff to feel happier i've rarely see it work very well mm. so i guess really what i'm interested in is the kind of the internal tweaks you know the change of mindset how mm -hmm. you manage the emotional stuff mm. what are the things that even take you one step forward because very often they can be monumentally powerful for the bigger changes longer term so that's sort of the direction i take and i think for most people it works much better I think that's a really interesting point, actually. I mean, one of the things that I've learned over the years and that I've heard many therapists say is that we can't control what is happening to us in that external environment, but we can control how we respond. And I guess that's what you're saying. It's we can control and have more authority over what's going on inside. And actually, ultimately, that's more important. I, I would say probably 95% of people I meet when they when they come to therapy, they'll come in and they will talk about all of the various things that are going on in their life and they will say i'm struggling i'm unhappy i'm anxious whatever the context might be and often they will will kind of place blame on the the situation you know it's because of my life my past what happened mm. my other half my boss and there might mm. be some degree of truth in that so i'm not kind of discounting the fact that these circumstances do contribute significantly to struggle but rarely do you meet people coming in saying I'm really struggling because of my approach or how right. I'm dealing with this or my perspective <laughs> or my mindset. Now, you don't expect people to come yeah. up, but it's a really interesting transition because I guess my work and my books and, the, you know, what I do is about mm. how people see most of the stuff, you know, like if we take other people, for example, you know, you can try as much as you can, but you're by and large, you're not going to change other people's behavior. Yeah. People are who they are and getting frustrated with how people are and how mm -hmm. they impact in your life. You know, on, unless you're willing to kind of make drastic changes, the, the key adjustment is on how you respond to them. And, and likewise, yeah. with most of life, I mean, I think the pandemic taught us that, didn't it? Really, mm -hmm. really mm -hmm. none of us really have any significant control about what's going to come next. So kind of learning to navigate that, I think, is a really useful thing to do. Yeah. Do you know, I, I'm just thinking of that right now and smiling because I had somebody come into my space just a few hours ago before we started this. Yeah. And they have a very, um, shall we say, negative energy 
Mm-hmm. And whenever I see them, I in the past, I've always been quite stressed by their visit. And in fact, I've kind of sometimes worked myself up into a bit of a state knowing that they were coming and yeah. and reacted to it and thought afterwards, oh my gosh, this is all so dreadful and taken on some of their negativity and kind of shouted it back or whatever. And today I just thought, actually, do you know what? It, this is just not going to touch me. I've yeah. got my shield up, my invisible shield, and I kind of visualize all these little arrows of stuff pinging out me but actually they weren't getting through and you know this person went off um in a kind of you know cloud of you know gray smoke or whatever and yeah. and I just felt completely fine and nothing had really changed it was the same pattern of behavior that I've experienced you know many many times but yeah. it was my own approach and how I framed it in my mind that actually meant that it, it didn't didn't touch me that's it I thought you were going to say you you hid in the kitchen on the table <laughs> I felt like it that's probably what I would have done <laughs> no I even offered them a cup of coffee I mean that is how strong I was feeling you know I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna manage this <laughs> it, it's interesting I think it's something about getting older as well I've got much much better at you know for you know I talk in one of my books about radiators and drains you know people in our mm. life people are radiators and lift us up people who drag us down a bit mm-hmm. I think the older you get I've sort of learned that um if I'm around people who really are impacting negatively or actually draining you of all your resources I'm mm-hmm. much better at putting the boundary around that and thinking actually yeah. I'm not going to be unkind or I'm not going to be rude to somebody yeah. but actually you know in terms of what I do for a job and stuff I've got to protect yeah. my own and I mean this is going off on a tangent here and you, you may think this is a bit woo woo but I've been looking at kind of vibrational energy and people who there are people you're drawn to because they just yeah. seem to shine and they they yeah. give off this really good vibe and you talk about radiators and drains. I love that analogy. And actually, I've also been told that you need to be careful and watch out for those drains or those energy vampires, because they almost target those who've got what they haven't got. They they yeah. kind of make a beeline for those whose energy is really, really good and kind of try and suck some of that out of it, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, because you've got what they haven't. And I think, you know, if you are feeling positive, you just need to be aware of who's coming into your space who might actually want to take some of that from you. Yeah, and also really interesting point. I had an old supervisor years ago who used to, you know, we go to supervision and we often talk about clients and how we do our work. And, you know, you're often kind of looking for another opinion if you get stuck with a client. And that's kind of part of the deal. Every therapist has their own supervisor and every therapist generally has their own therapist but mm. I remember a supervisor years ago said to me that you know you always have to take note of how you feel at the end of a session and and what your own energy is like and if you mm. notice that you're working with a client and your energy is kind of significantly lower with this client most of the time then you need to look about what that's about and you have to think about how you protect your own space and your own energy around that and it, yeah. and it does happen all the time you can see it sometimes where you know, when you're working with people and it may be that they're bringing very, very difficult stuff, but if they're stuck and they're resistant and they don't like, and this happens in, you know, therapy can be a bit like a tug of war. And I, you know, I don't have a particularly fluffy approach to therapy. You know, I, I, you know, I'm compassionate and I listen and I'm, you know, my key aim is to move someone forward, but sometimes that involves being quite tough Mm -hmm. and quite challenging with people. And very often if people are stuck, and they're in a mindset where they don't want to change or they're resistant, then you'll you'll come up against, you know, a lot of that energetic stuff. Mm. Interesting. And I'm interested that you say that you're you're you have a tough approach and, and, and not too fluffy. Let's talk about your background before we kind of go on to how we can become yeah. our own therapists. You grew up in Belfast during the Troubles. Yeah. You know, how much of that has had an impact on your work and your values and perhaps your outlook now, you know, both as an adult and as a practitioner? I think it's, I mean, look, there's probably, 
no better training ground. I talk a lot about anxiety and trauma. It's kind of my two key interest areas clinically. And I guess when you grow up somewhere like that, you know, you're, you're sort of in a really, you're in a, it's like a training camp, essentially, isn't it? For <laughs> understanding the anxious mind and understanding trauma. And do, interestingly, during the time when I grew up there, you normalize it. Right. You, know, you just kind of get normal. That. And it's funny, actually, yeah. you mentioned that because I watched the movie Belfast. I don't know if you've seen it. Mm, um, mm-hmm. Watched a few months ago. Yeah. I thought it was beautiful. Yeah. I thought it was really beautifully made and acted and stuff. But it's interesting because it it was set in a kind of more middle class part of Belfast, whereas mm-hmm. I grew up in a very working class part of Belfast. And someone asked me afterwards in an interview what I thought of it. And for me, actually, it was like the Disney version. Right. Belfast, even though right. most people were saying, oh, my God, that was awful. And what a terrible thing. And all of yeah. the bombs and stuff were actually I thought they took quite a light approach to really? what was happening. Yeah, but but it, mm. I think it was the right thing to do because it was mm-hmm. from that perspective, you know, because mm-hmm. it, that's where the, the character grew up. But for me, interestingly, when I grew up there, I, you, you normalize all of the stuff, you know, the bombs and the bullets and, you know, the day-to-day stuff and the, the constant threat of fear and not knowing yeah. what was coming next. I didn't see anything wrong with that at all until I left. So it was only when I moved to London and I, and I you know, I, I basically started to rebuild my own life in a different way. It was only when I left and then when I sort of started doing my own therapy, really in my early 20s, that suddenly the mm. enormity of it and the impact yeah. sort of hit me because during the time, I guess essentially when you when you grow up somewhere like that, you're in survival mode sure. a lot of the time. So when you're in survival mode, you don't really have much time to, to be <laughs> analyzing or to working it out. You just, you get yeah. on with it. And on top of that as well, my, my, my family and, you know, culture was very Irish Catholic and there was a uh, you know you, you know get on with it you know and mm-hmm. you know there are people worse off than you so there was that mentality yeah alongside it as well so there wasn't really much permission <laughs> to stop and stew in it it was like get on with it worse things happen in life yeah I mean I, I was actually in Belfast last year I took my kids we went to the Titanic exhibition which is amazing which is fantastic it if is anybody really listening good. has not had the chance to go please go it is absolutely yeah. brilliant and then we had a spare afternoon and uh, we said okay we're, we're going to get a, a cab and we're going to ask the, the taxi driver to take us around you know the Falls Road and, and the yeah, troubles yeah, and, yeah. and all of that and talk to us about it and he did and he took us to the really gritty bits and yeah. it was extraordinary to to see literally how close you know Catholics and Protestants were and and yeah. well and, and still are and, and the kind of the division and the you know the hatred between different sides of the street oh, growing yeah. up with that uh, you know as to your point you know you normalize that level of fear it, it and, was surreal really and you know yeah. it's interesting you talk about the the falls road so one, one of the first hospitals i worked in was on the falls road there's a hospital there called the royal so so my early training was was in the royal but where i lived was in a, a flashpoint place called ardoing they might have taken you there actually because they have a lot of the murals on the wall oh yes yeah, yeah i remember the murals yeah. so i grew up there wow. um, in that flashpoint so we were mm. kind of stuck in the middle of this kind of protestant and catholic area and i grew up in a predominantly catholic area and that entire experience actually i mean the people were i mean people in northern ireland they do have a warmth about mm-hmm. them that's kind oh, of really yeah. hard to match yes but the, the constant set you know that sense of fear that was there the whole time when i look back on it now i do think that that was way tougher than I realized. And mm-hmm. and I guess as an adult, sometimes when I'm talking about anxiety, I never really understood some of my own hypervigilance and mm-hmm. um, mistrust of safety, particularly. That's um, interesting that that hypervigilance comes from that place of 
uncertainty and you know I'm, I've got a couple of friends who I actually tease about being hypervigilant mm. and I actually quite like hanging out with them because they spot things you know way before I do yeah, and yeah. I always say you know you should be a spy because you've got like you know <laughs> extrasensory perception and x-ray vision here but they've both had quite troubled traumatized backgrounds and I guess we carry a lot of that kind of stuff subconsciously don't we into our adult life I think you, you do and it's kind of one of the things I I try to talk about in this book is that concept that we're, we're all products of our experience. Mm. You know, no matter who we are, we are all products of the things that we experience in life. And, and of course, when you're going through this stuff, you don't really know that that's yeah. happening for you. But, you know, it depends on which psychology models you're talking about. People often talk about the shadow or the unconscious. And, you know, you'll hear different language. But I, I try to simplify it in that sometimes difficult things happen in our lives. Difficult mm. experiences happen. We go through things that are not easy. And I think we store it all up and I, I often describe it like these kind of, there are core parts of everyone, regardless of who you are, that store up these things. Uh, it could be that you have a sense of not feeling safe, you, you may have a sense of not feeling love, not feeling good enough. It plays out in different ways for different people, but most people keep that stuff really secret. Rarely do you see anyone coming out saying, oh, I sometimes feel unlovable. Right. Or I sometimes feel powerless. Or I sometimes feel like I worry I'm going to be disowned or abandoned or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the reality is a lot of people, a lot of human beings walk around with that stuff very deeply buried within them and they carry it. And it doesn't play out all the time, but often. And then I think when life does become difficult, then the old stuff can stare up. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of almost like the temperature ramps up a bit and the old stuff starts to kind of get disturbed. And when that happens, I believe we're all made up of many different parts. And I think, you know, things like anxiety, anger, fear, defensiveness, reactiveness, whatever the pattern is in your life, these are all protective parts that we have, mm-hmm. you know, these different parts of us. And often they come out to play really when the difficult stuff has been activated underneath. Yeah. So when I'm working with people and they say, I don't understand my anger or I don't understand my anxiety, I always try to frame it in a way that these are just parts of you that very often step forward to try and protect these kind of more vulnerable parts, the kind of right. more, more issues. And, and when you start to see them in that way, then you can start to work with them. So rather than ah. see, for example, anxiety is a bad thing, I often think, no, no, your anxiety step forward because it's trying to protect you. Yeah. Or your anxiety or your anger step forward because it feels that it doesn't want you to get hurt anymore or it doesn't right. want any more damage come. And that can be revolutionary life changing yes. for a lot of people because yeah. they then think, all right, first of all, I think most people in my experience need to understand why they struggle. So when I when I meet a client and they come in and they start to tell me their life story and, and very often it's difficult, you know, they've been through a lot of big stuff in their life. And, you know, and it's often the relief when you kind of frame it and say, well, it would be abnormal for you not to be struggling. Yeah. Moment, Because most people come in feeling abnormal. Why am I feeling this way? Everyone else seems to be happier. Everyone else seems to have their life together, which is not true, by the way. That's the biggest <laughs> myth there is. Yes. Me. But most yeah. people, we believe, don't we? When we're going through a tough time, we believe everyone else has it together. Yes. The reality is we get caught up in these beliefs uh, that, that this is awful and it's abnormal and it shouldn't be happening. And I think when when I'm working with people and I really try to to reinforce this in the book, that actually it would be abnormal not to be struggling because very mm-hmm. often the things people have been through 
the residual impact is very understandable. Mm. So that can come with an enormous amount of relief because people think, mm-hmm. oh, I get, I get it now. I understand why my mood drops. I understand why I withdraw. I understand why I get really anxious and worried some of the time. So mm. it's almost like you're getting people on side with themselves thinking, no, this is okay. Yeah. Is there also an understanding with what you're doing with the book that actually you and other therapists like you, you can't change people's lives. That individual has to make their own choices that, that will lead to change and that the role of a therapist is really to nudge them in the right direction and open up that possibility. Yeah, what you're doing the whole time is, and like I'm really clear about this in, in how to be your own therapist, you know, this is not like a messiah, I'm coming to save you. You know, mm. no no therapist, let's be really honest about this, no therapist is coming to save you. No one is coming to save you. You've got to do the work yourself. But I think for most people, it's, you know, most people, myself included, sometimes we just need a bit, you need someone else to kind of put a spotlight on it or to... yeah to give a perspective that sometimes we, we can't find ourselves. And I guess really I see my job is to to point out stuff that maybe the, the individual won't see or spot mm. and to try and make that understandable. And more importantly, to then offer not solutions because most people find their own way. But I am, you know, and therapists never give direction as such. But I think very often, you know, I, I'm not a therapist who will just sit and nod their head right. for an hour because yes. I just think, well, I... <laughs> You know, you get that with your best mate and a, cu- a couple of glasses of wine. Yes. So, and you, a little bit of top of it. Action points. But you can then, mm. you, are, you, you are given some degree of direction saying, I wonder, have you thought about this? I wonder, mm-hmm. did you try that? So it's about, it's always about this kind of open curiosity mm. about like, can I wonder what you could be doing? And that, yeah. that is the hardest thing in the world because it's in our, it's kind of in our nature, isn't it? We want to, I think when you're struggling, when you come along to somebody, you kind of want someone to feel, yeah, this is terrible and it's awful and it shouldn't have happened and this shouldn't be happening. So there is that moment at the beginning where people kind of think, I just want to, I just kind of want to stew in this for a, for a while because mm-hmm. it just feels terrible. Mm. But I guess ineffective therapy is, is if, you, if you let people stew in that for a long period of time, then they get stuck. Yeah. So I guess yeah. really what I try to do is, you know, I will always let people tell their story and I'll encourage them to tell their story. And of course, you know, compassionate and empathy and all of that in abundance at the beginning. But then there comes a point that's like, okay, well, would you like to stay here? To which the answer must be no. Well, most people say, yeah, well, no, of course I don't, but what can I do? Yes. And then I guess yeah. that's the point that what can I do is, well, actually there's a lot you can do. Mm-hmm. And I guess, I guess therapeutically then that's when literally you're sort of reaching out the hand to mm-hmm. help them up, so to speak. Do, do you think then that everyone could benefit from therapy? Oh my God, 100%. I mean, really? So no, not just when we've reached a clear crisis point, you know, you talked before about depression, anxiety, uncertainty, fear, you know, but you think that actually even anybody listening who thinks, well, I'm not depressed and I'm, I'm not particularly fearful. What we you know, what's in it for me? Yeah, here, I mean, look, there are two ways of looking at it. I think it's, you know, most people would benefit from a personal trainer, you know, because sure. it's like, you know, it's that encouragement and the guidance and stuff is really helpful. Not saying that everyone would want to do that, but I think that, you know, we'd probably argue strongly it, would, it wouldn't be unhelpful to have somebody guiding you through that part of your life. And I think most of us, you know, and some people might disagree with us here, but I think, you know, maybe my my opinion is a little bit biased. But I think most people have never really been taught how to manage the big stuff. Most people haven't been taught how to manage the negative thoughts that go on. In sure. Their I mean, but where, where would you get that information from? You know, unless you've got incredibly enlightened 
communicative parents, Absolutely. which certainly I mean my generation, I mean, I'm 60. So, you know, I look at my parents and, and you know, they they had no tools. We didn't even talk about this. I didn't even know what therapy was until I was about 35. I, well, exactly. <laughs> and it, was, it kind of seemed for me as well, as it was, mm. that, as I said earlier, that culture of just get on with it. And, mm. you know, as I would say in, in Belfast, they have an expression over there, catch yourself on. So everything was minimized. Really? So you didn't really, yeah, it was just kind of yeah. like, yeah, there's, there are more important things in your emotions. So, you know, just, yeah. j- just keep moving forward. But we're not taught very often how to manage the difficult emotions. We're not taught how to manage the thoughts. Very often, we're not really sure how to regulate all of this stuff. So I think, I have a theory that a lot of adults crash land into adulthood and they get on with it. But then suddenly a crisis moment happens and things can feel like they're falling apart. So mm. I think therapy in a sense is that this can you understand and these thoughts that you have, and let's be honest about it here, you know, every single person listening in here today will have moments when they, when they are aware that their mind is telling them that they're rubbish, that they're a failure, that they're not good enough, that they're stupid, that they're too mm-hmm. big, they're too small, they're ugly. These voices exist for most people, these critical mm. voices in our head. And the problem with that is most people take them factually. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, actually, in fact, quite a critical question here. Is there a difference then between thoughts and feelings? 100%. It's, it's a brilliant question because people often mix up the two. So thoughts are these, you know, narratives that just go on in our mind. And, and because they're so automated and, you know, in cognitive behavioral therapy, they often talk about automatic thoughts. So these are the thoughts that just jump up automatically. They're just these narratives, almost conversations that go on in our heads. And very often they're just old patterns and responses that play out over and over and over again. But they're they're familiar and you will be familiar with that voice. It's like, oh, there you go again. Yes. Oh, you screwed up again. You're an idiot. So we all know what it sounds like. Feelings are a little bit different. So feelings are those kind of almost visceral internal changes that go on where you literally feel i describe it almost like it, it's like a wave moving in where you suddenly become aware that something more significant has landed where there's a real change now the difficulty is most people never stop to work out what the change is all they do is they say well i'm not feeling the way i felt earlier mm-hmm. or i'm not feeling great or i just can't be bothered today so often people will frame it quite broadly But I guess really when you're a therapist, you're digging around a bit and then often what you'll find is, you know, people saying stuff like, actually, I'm feeling really sad. You know, when you start digging around, I'm feeling really sad today or I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm feeling isolated. So it's interesting how it often just gets dressed up broadly. But then when you you start to explore it, you find quite significant feelings there. And I guess what I'm always interested in is that the feelings are there for a reason. They're not bad. Again, they can be used very powerfully. To, to navigate you back to your point of stability. So if a, a difficult emotion moves in, I'll always work with the client and say, okay, I wonder what the the emotion could be communicating. Mm-hmm. I wonder what it's trying to tell you. I wonder where it's trying to lead you to. So rather than the emotion being seen as a bad emotion or a negative emotion, um, I can like, God, I, I wonder what it would be like to see all of the emotions as equal. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the great emotions are happiness, joy, love, blood, success, you know, these things that we all gravitate towards. But I wonder what it would be like if you could kind of incorporate all of them so that when an emotion comes up, firstly, you're curious about what it is and you give it airtime and then you allow the emotion to communicate. So, And, and often they are. It's kind of, you know, slow down, reevaluate, rethink, always kind of trying to get us back to a point of stability. So are feelings then a byproduct of thoughts? And if so, 
is it easier to change our thinking that will then inevitably move our feelings up to a perhaps a more positive level? It's the age old question. And, and, you know, psychiatrists and psychologists and therapists across the board will argue it differently. So in, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, for example, you know, they often talk about the impact of the way you think will impact the way you feel. Mm-hmm. But then you can get this feedback loop where actually if you, the emotions quite strong. It may be that that then impacts in the thought. So say, for example, sadness moves in and it's really a strong feeling of sadness. The thoughts then may be quite melancholic right. or, or darker in nature. So it's kind of almost like I don't think there's a concrete answer to say, you know, one leads to the other. I think as human beings, we're, we're complicated, you know, in yeah. the sense that <laughs> stuff's moving the entire time. And to kind of prescriptively say, yeah, it all starts with the thought or it all starts with the feeling. We are way, way more complicated than that. But I guess really... You know, the two are intertwined. So when I'm working with people, it's always about pulling them back and say, okay, let's not get completely involved in the emotion. Let's not Mm. get totally involved in the thought. But at the same time, let's acknowledge it and Mm -hmm. be aware that it's there and be curious about it. Because Mm -hmm. then you, you, you create that, you create the openness really for something to happen. So the whole time you were talking earlier about energy. So I kind of think, well, when you create the openness and space around it, then you allow that energy to pass through. Mm. I, I, I love that differentiation between thoughts and feelings. Hold that thought and let's hopefully feel feel the, the need to move forward. We're going to take a break. But when we come back, I do want to get into exactly what we need to be doing to become our own therapist. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
Well, you know, I can imagine a lot of people might never start the therapy process, not because they don't want to, but because it just seems so big and so unwieldy and with all these strange terms we've never heard of before. Where on earth do we start? So, you know, we'll come on to your ongoing manageable daily tips in a moment, but where would you suggest that someone starts in just understanding their story? I mean, look, the, the, the first half of this book is about, you know, I want to, first I should premise that this book doesn't claim to be a replacement for therapy in any way, shape or form. You know, I think there, there are some times in life when therapy, individual therapy or even group therapy, depending on what's on offer, could be a really useful thing. But, in, you know, the, the realist in me recognised when I sat down to do this book that there are millions of people in the UK waiting for therapy and they can't get treatment because of yeah. rapist. Yeah. And there are millions of people who can't afford private therapy. So that's kind of really what motivated me to do this book. It's like, well, okay, I'm not claiming this is going to be a replacement, but it's a pretty decent starting place because why don't I share what I know from 30 plus years of working in physical and mental health? What Why don't I share what I see work on a, on a mm. daily basis with people? Mm-hmm. And, you know, therapy, it's a good point you make about it being daunting and big because actually... It, do, it doesn't need to be that way at all. And what I've tried to do here is, I think for most people, it always has to start with their story. You know, just giving people the opportunity and the book does that to tell their story. Mm-hmm. And not just in a, because here's the interesting thing, Liz, if I ask you to tell me your, your story today, I put money on it. And I say this respectfully because it's the same for all of us as human beings. What you'd probably do initially is you would give me the respectful version of your story. Of course. <laughs> we, all, we all do, don't we? Because we, yeah. we do not want to go to the kind of the, the grid yeah. and stuff. So we all kind of get quite used to doing this. You know, we kind mm. of just tell these sort of, I, I mean, this this may bring this alive a bit more. So my first therapist ever was, uh, um, the, the story behind this, I, I should tell you the story actually, because it does make sense. So I hadn't been to therapy before and I was living in Ireland at the time about to come out Mm. to my family and all of that sort of stuff. Irish and Catholic, so you can imagine the Mm -hmm. the drama that went with that, you know, and to make it even more complicated, I, in my early 20s, was training to be a priest at the time. Oh, my gosh. So my parents one day thought they had a future Pope in their hands. Okay. They they have a, a, you know, a nice gay son in the car. Right, right. So I got myself very stressed out about this whole thing, as you can imagine. So it was a a big bombshell to be landed. And I, uh, a mate of mine said, I think you should go and talk us through with somebody. And I went and they just gave me a card and a name and I arranged an appointment. And when I got there to this building, I first of all noticed it was in a school, which I thought was a bit weird. And I thought, why am I in a school? This is weird, but it's definitely at the right address. And then I knock on this door and this nun answered the door. (gasps) Oh, gosh. I said, oh, I'm really sorry to disturb you. I think I might be at the wrong place. I'm looking for someone called Kathleen. And she said, that's me. (gasps) Okay. And I said, oh, I said, no, but I said, I'm looking for Kathleen. And it's interesting. I couldn't say the word therapist. Mm-hmm. which is interesting because it was all a bit mm. shameful and mm-hmm. I said oh no this is just uh, this lady and I think she, she talks to people so I started to bumble and babble about all sorts of stuff and she said do you mean the therapist and I went yeah yeah and she said that's me so wow she, so she then brought me in so there I am my first experience with the therapist sat in front of an Irish Catholic nun right and my reason for being in therapy is to come out as yeah. gay and the whole, so there were so many <sighs> conflicts and contradictions in it that none of it made any sense whatsoever. Mm. But the incredible thing about it was... How did I, it go? 
Well, here's the thing. She sat me down and she was like, how are you? And into, so talking about, there is a point to all of this. Mm. So she said to me, how are you? And I started to go into my rehearse story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And how are things? And how has it been growing up? I mean, she knew where I lived. I mean, it was, this yeah. was in Belfast. So she knew exactly what the background was. So anyway, she let me ramble off for about 20 minutes. And then she said to me, I've just noted, Owen, that you keep telling me that you're fine. Yeah. And that everything's fine. She said, I'm just curious about why you're here. Yeah. So I just went quiet and I just, I, didn't, I had nowhere to run really. I didn't know what to say. Sure. And then there was this incredible moment of silence. And then she said, you keep telling me you're fine. But she said, it's interesting because I feel really sad. And I'm wondering, do you feel that? Mm. And you know, when someone not corners you, but when they name mm-hmm. exactly what's happening, mm. that you've nowhere to run. Yeah. And of course, and the emotions then. Yeah. Yeah, they, they had to come and then suddenly I could barely speak. Yeah. And then that was it, really. That was the beginning of an incredible relationship. So at the end of the session, she said, um, I think we'll, she said, we're going to end here, but let's start again. She said, do you want to tell me why you're here? <laughs> <laughs> really? After all of that, yeah. Uh, so I said, well, actually, I've got a bit of a, there's a bit of a secret thing going on at the minute. So she yeah. said, okay. So again, there was a bit of kind of babbling going on and avoidance and all yeah. sorts of stuff. And so I had, and she just kind of was very quiet. And then eventually I said it and there was just a mm. deadly pause. And she said, is that it? Really? And I said, amazing yeah, woman. It. And then she said, yeah. oh, she said, I thought you were going to tell me you'd murdered someone. <gasps> Gosh, and, how um, incredible to put that into just such perspective. And, and it was, and she was great and funny and down to earth mm. and all of that stuff. But, the, mm. you know, the, the importance of that story is, I mean, it kind of, demystified therapy for me but it was a very human face on, yeah. on something that I expected to be different do you think we should expect the process of therapy then to be uncomfortable emotionally absolutely look I think it, I think first of all if, you, if you're ever thinking of getting a therapist you know they it has to be the right therapist for you I say to every client I meet yeah. I, I do an assessment with them first but I often say to them go away think about this I will if I think I can work with them I will offer them that if I think I can't for whatever reason then mm. I'll be truthful about it and say I'm not the right person for you and here's mm-hmm. why. But equally, I'll say to them, if I'm not right for you, please do not book another appointment with me because yeah. you're going to be wasting your time and money. How, some... how, how do people find the right therapist, though? I mean, are, are there key questions to ask or specialisations? I think there's a, like the, 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 the normal due diligence stuff. Check that this person is trained, that they mm-hmm. have full, full accreditation. There's a real difference between having a membership of a regulatory body and having full accreditation. Okay. And a lot of people who maybe are not fully trained will say they have membership and that's right. fine. And they may yeah. not have finished their training, but if you're with somebody who hasn't completed their training and you feel you they have completed their training, then you mm. are going to get a different experience. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it won't be a helpful experience, but I think you check their, their experience, that they're accredited, that they come with a good reputation, ask for reviews. But I kind of often think mm. that the most powerful thing is to, you know, you know, if you know somebody who's been to therapy and they yes. found someone good yeah. is to kind of, you know, maybe go and meet them and go along. You know, it might be that the, the first person you meet isn't right for you mm-hmm. and you might need to see, you know, I've been to therapists that uh, haven't worked yeah. for me at all. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and, and I've had to. So I, I think it, it's finding the right person. But yeah. feel somebody that you're, you intuitively know that mm. and safety and trust, trust mm-hmm. with. Because if you go in and bullshit, and people do. Yes. 
if you're going to bullshit and don't <laughs> tell them the, the truth and you go in and just kind of put on the happy smile and, and you say, oh, I can't tell them that. My God, what would they think? Yeah. Uh, which was my big fear. How yeah. do you go in and talk about all well, of this? Well, you were thrown in the deep end. I yeah, mean, that's... How do I tell this stuff to, you, to a female, which was an mm-hmm. interesting thing? Sure. How do I talk to a woman sure. about this stuff? Because I'm going to be talking about sex to a woman. Yeah. And a nun. And a nun. <laughs> and, it's, and it's not even regular sex. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into the practicalities of what you suggest in your book, which is brilliant, about what our days can look like. You know, you, you talk about 10 minutes of daily self-therapy, yeah. Yeah. you know, so we don't need a therapist. You know, we get the book, we, we go through this. What would that 10 minutes look like? And is it something that we have to do every day? Well, so the, look, I should say the first half of the book is about telling your story and getting right. to know your story. And it's kind of almost like a jigsaw. It's really, you know kind of guiding you through your life story and how it makes sense to your life today. So I guess it's really helping you understand why you might struggle and you would do that in regular therapy. So you're kind of, I guess really it's like you're kind of joining Mm. the dots to think, okay, now this makes, so that's the foundational part of Mm -hmm. the first half of the book. And that's exactly, you know, and I think I couldn't have done the book without doing that first. And do you write that down or do you record it in some way? I I ask people to do it in whatever way is comfortable for them. If they want to write, they can write. If they want to record, they can record. Mm. If they want to paint or whatever works, it's just about getting that out. But then the the other part is, is, is choosing a trusted person to, to share the kind right. of the unedited version of the story with mm. so that for the first time you're set down. I look, I spent 10 years working with people who were terminally ill and the number of times I, I was with people along the way who would sometimes be at the, you know, the, the end stages of their life and maybe sometimes in their seventies or eighties. And they would often tell you stuff they had never told anyone in the entirety of their life ever. Gosh. And they yeah. carried it right up to that moment. Mm. I kind of think, you know, often we carry some of this stuff and often it's shame based. Yeah. Often people carry all this stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. my God, I couldn't tell people that. And of course, often the shame's unnecessary. I often, like I say in the book, mm. the, you know, the anecdote to shame is light. You know, shame cannot survive in the dark. That's so great. That's and, so and great. She- I actually had somebody not that long ago who shared a really deep secret with me because they felt they were in a trusted space. Yeah. And it was... You know, to me, it was like, well, yeah, that gosh, that no, that that sounds quite bad. But yeah. I, you know, that happened then. I don't think anything worse of you. Yeah. And they were like, really? Yeah. You know, and they've been carrying it around for years and not sharing it. I hope this kind of encourages people to think if there is something that you feel is just too shameful, absolutely. If you have got somebody that you could share it with to bring it out into the light, it's what what is that they say? Sunlight is an amazing disinfectant. Absolutely, and it is the most powerful thing because I, I, you know, I wholeheartedly believe that a lot. I do like the word disorders, and I don't even, I don't believe in a lot of diagnosis. I think sometimes it's important, but I think sometimes we over pathology people you know we label mm. them with depression anxiety ocd adhd mm. and look, don't get me wrong here there are there are sometimes when a diagnosis you know in terms of getting people help and support and the right medication and stuff i'm not saying that it's wrong there are, it does have a time and a place but i also think we're in a culture at the moment where there's a danger that everyone's been pathologized mm. and i think we mm-hmm. need to get much better thinking we are human beings, which means sometimes we are going to struggle. We're going to feel low. We're going to feel anxious. We're going to feel a bit discombobulated. We're going to feel off center. That is part of the human condition. It doesn't mean that there's a problem or there's anything wrong with you. It means that you're a human being. And I think we have to get much, much better at having these conversations about the normality of struggle 
rather right. than this kind of over pathologizing. <laughs> but my point yeah. in all of this is really ab- about this kind of culture we're in at the minute where we can almost need to, to have this defining label, which sometimes isn't terribly helpful. And I guess really when I'm talking about shame, very often what you find is that I, I see the top layer stuff as symptoms. So if someone comes in, they're anxious, so they're feeling low or they're they're angry all of the time it's often just symptoms of stuff that's going on underneath mm-hmm. and the majority of time i rarely rarely don't find shame right at some level right when I'm with people there will always always be some degree of shame and yet it's a topic that we rarely talk about yes. rarely rarely talk about and i think but yeah. often that's what's fueling the fire this underlying sense of shame that people carry. Why don't we have these conversations about yes. the fact that we carry these secrets? So that kind of informs a big part of the book. But in terms of the daily stuff, mm. the reason I did 10 minutes was um, I just kind of, there was years ago I was running a group in the NHS and I um, I was doing an anxiety group at the time and, and I was working with this group and they were doing really well, but I was setting them work to do between sessions. And this woman came up to me at the end and she said, like, this is really helping me I'm really starting to feel better. But she said, I haven't got time to meditate for 45 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got time to do all of this stuff. You know, can you create something like 10 minutes or something? And I'll do that. So that that informed my first book, which was 10 to Zen, which was creating that 10 minutes mm. a day for anxiety. Mm-hmm. But when I was doing the therapy book and the therapy aspect of this this book, I thought, you know something, I am very aware that people don't have a lot of time. And if I create this lengthy detail thing, they will, people won't use it. I know they won't. Mm-hmm. So I divided it up into 10 minutes over the day. And it's in three sections, which I call ready, steady, reset. And I know that sounds like a breakfast cereal. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it does actually, that I say it out loud. It does. Yeah, love it. But, but, um, and, and the premise is really, I think, you know, most people get out of their beds in the morning and they just crash into their day. Mm. And, and, you know, they're feeding the kids, walking the dog, and then suddenly they're in work and they're overwhelmed. And we're just on this automated cycle the whole time. And the first part of the day is kind of really encouraging and teaching people that kind of art form of stopping to check in, you know. Yeah. It's like so w- would, would that be the meditation then or how, how, is, how would you do it's, that? It's a grounding thing. I mean, I'm always mm-hmm. cautious about the word meditation because I think for some people it can be off-putting. Because mm-hmm. it just feels, oh, it's too woo-woo for me. But it is teaching people hard to stop and hard to regulate. So, you know, it's, you know, for, it's, it's a really simple thing of what is going on in your mind today? What's, yeah. what, what's the activity like? What's the volume? What's going to, what's the emotional state? You know, how do you locate these emotions? Where are you holding this in your body? Mm. Because then that's a really powerful start because most people, you know, before you even get to the thoughts and emotions, most people carry stuff in the body. I mean, this is well documented, it's well researched. And there's a really quick, quick route in to kind of regulating because if, for example, you hold tension, I mean, I can ask you if you don't mind me, where where, where do you hold when you're when you're struggling? Do you Mm. know when you carry tension or yeah yeah in, in my neck and my upper shoulders okay so yeah. that's your, your location for yeah. me it's my chest for a lot of people it's their, their stomach their neck mm. but if, if you even do this kind of simple check and think hey what's going on with my body today and you can locate where you're carrying the emotion mm-hmm. then you've got the opportunity immediately to can I almost sit with that and i often you know encourage just slow regulated breathing mm. at in for four out for four because when you do that, you activate the parasympathetic nervous system, which is kind of what you want to do here. You're you're trying to put the brakes on yes. so that you can deactivate that sense of threat in the body. 
And then you're kind of, you're looking at the mindset. So for example, if you're aware that you've woken up and you've got the, oh my God, you're rubbish. The day's going to be terrible. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's a disaster, the catastrophe and the whole work. You can mm. then take stand back and then say, oh, okay, this stuff's playing out again. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between seeing, oh, this stuff's playing out again, than qualifying that as I am terrible. Right. I am a disaster this is all terrible. My life is terrible. So even that the ability to create that space between, okay, I know what this is. This is just my kind of critic playing out again. And I have a choice here to observe this and not to get over involved. And actually I can even reframe this if I wanted to. So I guess that the beginning part of the day is to really encourage people to, to get to know, you know, I describe it like getting mm. into the car. You wouldn't get into your car in the morning and not check your seatbelt and your mirror yeah and, and how much fuel's in the tank all and, of that stuff yeah, because you yeah. need to do that and then you go off and you, it's going to be a pretty safe journey if you don't do any of that stuff are you going to hit a wall at some point you probably will so that's getting ready and then you then you get set during the day so that, that and that's a different so the, practice so the steady it's a different thing steady. And I, I encourage mm. people and the reason i included that is like i think most of us unless you're very very lucky or depending on what your life is. But I know at some point, by about this point in the day, someone will have pissed me off. <laughs> Let's be honest. Just the it. one. <laughs> one. Maybe a few. There have been a few, actually. But there, there will always be a few things that have happened to kind of derail your day. Either people, circumstances, things mm-hmm. not going to plan. Trains. Trains. Yep. You, know, mm-hmm. you know what it's like. I mean, it's kind of like a slippery slope, isn't it? You, you can kind of start off full of good intentions and then suddenly you get to this part of the day and you've derailed a bit. What I do advocate in this section of the day is to actually get out. Yes. So to not be in the house. To, literally to get out outside. Yeah. Literally get out yeah, and whatever capacity you can do that there. Mm-hmm. It's so that you break that routine of wherever you are. I mean, most people can can find a way of getting out of the house or getting out of the office yeah. just to kind of break that up a bit. Now, I don't want to go too woo-woo here, but we yeah. know the small things, like even a few minutes mm-hmm. walk a day can change your Oh, for sure. Time. Try and find something green, some leaves, you a bit of grass, it, it something. All of that stuff, even mm. people get a bit cynical and they roll their eyes back. But when you look at the neuroscience no, no, no. behind it, you yeah. think, actually, you know, it's really, really powerful. Powerful. So yeah. it's again about that, that kind of navigate. Okay, I, I've now gone into a spiral. And and then, of course, when we went to the spiral, the old stuff starts to get activated. You know, the old, mm-hmm. you know, this is terrible. My life's a disaster. Why has this gone wrong? I won't cope with this. When you notice that spiraling beginning to happen, you have an opportunity then to kind of rescue it and sell therapy and think, mm-hmm. okay, I'm not going to do this. There, mm-hmm. there's, there's ways of me managing this. And honestly, this can work really powerfully for people in just ter- terms of leveling off the day. Yeah. And then, and then the last section, would that be, you know, before before you go to bed? or, or Yeah. What? And there's a couple of rituals I put in there in terms nice. of how, how you end your day. You know, how do nice. you do that? I mean, an old supervisor of mine years ago used to talk about, you know, cleansing your hands after every session. And I just think it was yeah. really weird. And yeah. actually, the older I get and the more experienced I got, I realized it was something so really you lo- you're washing off the day. They're just literally kind yeah. of washing off the day. So I, I include a couple of other rituals nice. in there. But the reason I talk about the, the, the end part of the day is if we're constantly, constantly just going on and we're not processing what's going on in our day, then we just carry the same stuff mm-hmm. over and over and over again. So at that part of the day, I do encourage people, we, again, whether it's journaling, recording, yeah. keeping a note of it somewhere, where they find a way of just offloading mm. and not carrying whatever the concerns of the day are mm-hmm. to bed with them. Because most people, look, if you think of, 
anxiety and worry, for example, most people will carry 15, 20, 25 worries to bed with them at night. Oh, gosh. That's very heavy load, hey? It's a lot. And when you break it down with people, they will easily come up with a whole list of things that they're worried about and that are bothering them. Now, when you then kind of cross-reference that to the fact that kind of 90 to 95% of things that we worry about in this lifetime will never come to any fruition. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's good it, to know, it, isn't it? It's a lot of time. It's a lot of time wasted on worrying. So I yeah. let people, you know, you, rather than hold this, I get people to do a thing called, you know, I get them to do a list of worries mm-hmm. and called worry time. And I include it in this section. Mm. I say, list down all the things that are bothering you before you mm-hmm. go to bed. Don't take them to bed with you because yeah. it's be a very crowded bedroom with all the things worried <laughs> them with you. So <laughs> list, list all the stuff that's bothering you. And then uh, go through the list and you can kind of make that decision, okay, what what am I in control? You know, what what's within my control now? Can I do mm. anything about this? And if it's not within my control at this moment, can it be okay to park this and to leave it be? Yeah. And for some people then what they find is that that burden of carrying these 15, 20 worries is then suddenly mm. narrowed down to maybe two or three key things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there's a greater sense of control and perspective yeah. back. So it's about basically this becomes a process and part of the day. So that on a daily basis that you're making this decision to to let go of the stuff that you don't need to carry with you. So that you, you're giving yourself the opportunity then to start the next day afresh, not heavily burdened. Whereas if we're if we're not doing this, then we just roll in from one day to the next mm-hmm. to the next to the next, carrying all of this stuff with us. And I don't think we need to do that. Owen, you are absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for this conversation. So many really helpful and manageable suggestions. And I've loved our chat. Huge success with the book. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I can think of several people that I'm going to get copies and I'm sure it will be very helpful. So thank you for your time. You're welcome. And thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed talking. Well, Owen, thank you again so much for that conversation. I just loved all those hints and tips. I have definitely got a lot there to be taking away and getting on with. Interesting that he was talking about getting things out of your mind, you know, last thing at night. And one of the things that I do now is I have a little notepad with a pencil beside my bed and I do physically write stuff down that I'm worrying about because I kind of feel that if it's written down, it's out of my brain and my brain kind of subconsciously knows that I'm going to deal with it, but I'm not going to deal with it overnight. I'm going to use that time to rest and not worry and not stress, but get up and deal with stuff again in the clear light of a new day. Well, what about you? What do you do daily to help keep your mental health in check? Do let me know. You can leave a comment on our Instagram, which is at Lizal Wellbeing. And if you want to connect with me personally, you can leave me a comment. I am at Lizal Me. And while you're still here on your podcast platform, do make sure that you are following the show because that way all the new episodes will arrive on your device as soon as they are available. And let me tell you, you will really want to be here next week because I've got a bit of a Valentine's Day special for you. We are going to be learning how to really enhance our our physical pleasure. Mm-hmm. I will leave you with that thought for the moment. Until then, go very well. Bye-bye. The Liz Earle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Liz Earle, and is produced by Anushka Tate for Fresh Air Production, with additional production support from Ellie Smith. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.